0: Well, would you please turn to Matthew chapter 6? We're working through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're all the way to the end of the chapter today. We're looking at instructions straight from the lips of Jesus, and it is practical, and it touches us right where we live. So I think all of us can see ourselves in what jesus is saying today he's dealing with materialism we started on that last week and he's talking about worrying about finances and worrying about our lives and worrying about our earthly existence and worrying about whether we're going to have enough necessities to survive and so jesus says what stop worrying stop worrying worry has no place in the life of a christian The foundational principle is that unbelievers have a reason to worry. We don't need to act like unbelievers. So we're not going to worry because we have a father who is committed to taking care of all of the things that we worry about. So we live in a world that is preoccupied with material possessions. We're focused on what we possess. It's easy to fall into that. I think all of us have done that at one time or another but scripture says that a person's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses but we want to grasp all the possessions we can don't we I'm guilty I in. Mean, I'm gonna stash me some stuff whenever I get an opportunity it's just in us to do it that's kind of the way we think but also I was reading some uh, information about some um holds that have been taken and whatnot and the conclusion of one of them was that there's a generation out there now who will say to you I want what I want when I want it and we all kind of maybe have a little bit of that in us but it's kind of gotten to be the mindset and they want material things more than they're wanting relationships more than they want children more than they want a marriage things stuff and so what is the biblical view of material things and that's what we've been looking at and what Jesus is telling us in these verses what is our perspective on both the luxuries and the necessities of life now remember last week in verses 19 through 22 the Lord tells us about luxuries these are things that we want to stockpile and hoard that are not necessities things that we don't really have to have but then in verses 25 through 34 he talks about necessities that which is beyond what we need that's that what we don't need are the luxuries but these are the things that we need and so in verse 20 regarding the luxuries the lord tells us lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven so the instruction is you need to lay up treasures in heaven for yourselves and we talked about how to do that we're not just to, to hoard or stockpile earthly things but it's not all right to save some things that are that rate they're reasonable okay things that are good stewardship of the future so he's not talking about that but he talked about he says where your treasure is there will your what heart be also so there's where your heart is now so remember that investing in eternal things opens our spiritual sight. We spent a good time, bit of time last week talking about the fact that when we're so focused on material things, when we're so focused on um, earthly things, that we lose our ability to have keen spiritual discernment. And that's what he was talking about in that passage, the light of the body is the eye and, and on through that. But then In verses 25 through 34, he goes on to talk about the basics of life. And he says, don't be anxious. And three times he says, don't worry, look at it. He says in verse 25, it's interesting, he says, stop being anxious. In verse 31, he says, don't start being anxious. And number 34, don't start being anxious. So he says, if you're anxious, stop. If you're not anxious yet, don't get started. And he tells us three times. So what does it mean to be anxious? It means to worry or to fear or we want to say to be concerned. Right? And so he's saying don't do that. Now verse 25 says don't worry about what? He says don't worry about your food, your drink, your clothes. And he gave us three reasons not to worry. Now this is from last week's lesson he gave us three reasons not to worry he said don't worry number one because of your father because of who your father is number two don't worry because it is inconsistent with our faith worry is characteristic of unbelief and unbelievers and then number three he says worry is unreasonable because of our future and that's verse 34 and we'll get to it in a few minutes but if you want to look at it now verse 34 says what Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will do what? Take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So, making reasonable position, provisions for tomorrow makes sense. It's good stewardship, it's what we're supposed to do. But when we worry about tomorrow, then we become unfaithful and foolish. So that's the gist of it. Now Jesus closes verse 30 with a statement. And I want to show you something about this. He says, but if God so arrays the grass of the field. Let me back up. He says, even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace. Will he not much more do so for you? Oh People, men, this word men is men, women, boys, and girls, oh, people of little faith, little faith. Now, some theologians describe Peter as a worrier. Until I got into studying this, I never had thought about that a whole lot. But remember, when he was walking on the water, he was worried about sinking, drowning, right? He worried about what was going to happen to Jesus in the garden. So what did he do? He pulled a sword and whacked off an ear. Um, he tried to talk Jesus out of being crucified. So we don't think of Peter as worrying, but those are concerned, worrisome things. He was trying to intervene and do something. But finally, finally, in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, you can jot this down, we won't turn there, but I'll read it to you. He got it. And in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, Peter says, Casting all your cares on him, for he careth for you. Peter's life is fascinating to me. So after all of that and after all he had been through, he finally says, You know what? You can cast your cares on him. So he got it. So what I want you to see is that that phrase, O ye of little faith, is used Four other times in the gospels and it's an interesting phrase it is luke used in luke chapter 12 and verse 28 and in that passage jesus called them of little faith and they were worried about clothing and then in matthew chapter 8 and verse 26 um The disciples are on the ship. There's a terrible storm at sea. And the disciples were afraid that Jesus was going to let them drown. Remember that? That's Matthew 8, 26. And they said to Jesus, how can you sleep when this storm is going to drown us? So then he called them Ogie of little faith. And then in Matthew chapter 14, Peter was afraid of losing his life. And in Matthew 16, 8, they were worried about their food. And so Jesus says, little faith, little faith, little faith, little faith. And so every time this phrase, O ye of little faith, is used, it is used about somebody who was worried about food, clothing, or length of life. Every instance in which it is used, they were worried about food, clothes, or lifespan. The very same thing jesus is talking about here in the sermon on the mount in matthew 6 you know because he's just talked about what food i feed the birds clothing i array the flowers and then length of life how can you by worrying at any time to your life well you can't you shorten it by worrying so every time he says this i get this part Every time he says it, he's talking to the disciples. So these are not unlearned, unsaved people who didn't know anything. But he was talking to the disciples. So one of the things that's easy for us is, is that we believe that God can redeem us. We believe that he can save us from sin. We believe that he can break Satan's shackles. He believe, we believe that he can take us to heaven when we die. We believe that he can put us in his kingdom. But I don't know if he can get me something to eat and wear. Do we have that tendency? We believe God for the bigger gifts. And we stumble around to believe him for the lesser ones. I had such a lesson in that. Goodness, I don't know how many years ago it would have been. I had just started doing women's ministry in this church. And... um Our very very first women's conference, I invited a lady named Verla Pettit to come and speak. She was a precious lady, and um, it meant so much. But here was the conversation. I finally, um, all this was new to me, so I got up. The news I had heard her speak at at a precept conference, and she lived in Memphis. Great friends with Billy Graham and Cliff Barrows. She was there in charge of a men's Uh, mission ministry where men would go and and um, it was a fascinating story I called her and I said "Um, Miss Pettit I'm calling to see if you would come to our church and do a women's conference for me several sessions and just speak to the ladies in our church and so we talked about a date and she said that she would come and I said "Uh, what is your fee And there was silence on the phone for a second, and she stopped, and she said, Sharon, don't you think that if I can trust the Lord for my salvation, I can trust him for whatever y'all choose to give me to come? Well, yes, (coughs) ma'am. And so that was that. You don't get that a lot when you make that phone call. Uh, Miss Ferla, some years on after that, went on to be with the Lord. I think of her often, and I think I still have those videos. I was thinking this morning if I could find them and watch them again. But she told me, she said, Sharon, if ice cream had been alcohol, I would have been the town drunk. But she taught me in that lesson. She said, you know what, if you're going to trust him with the big things, if you're going to trust him with the most important thing, which is your salvation, don't you reckon? he will take care of all of the rest of this so tucked in the end of this chapter is a positive command with a promise and it is verse 33 and the first word in verse 33 is what okay one of the big butts of the bible and that word is important it is a contrast word and it could be translated instead of instead of So what he's saying is that rather than seeking and worrying about food and drink and clothing like unbelievers do, he says, do this, seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and he follows it with a promise. And he says, what? All these things shall be added to you seek first God's kingdom, God's authority. Now when we were studying the Lord's prayer and we looked at the phrase, thy kingdom come, then um, we talked about what it is for the kingdom to be on earth. We're going to live according to the kingdom rules. We live according to the rule of God. We live according to kingdom principles. And when we do that, by our presence being here, the kingdom is on the earth. And so We're going to live like kingdoms, kingdom people. And he says, look, you seek first my kingdom, my authority, my rule, my righteousness. Now, the problem comes for all of us, and we all have the tendency to fall into seeking for things more than we're seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. You know, I'm guilty. You know, it's a whole lot easier to sit down and think about, okay, what kind of shoes do I need for fall? I'm having trouble with Sunday shoes. Are y'all having trouble with that? You know, it clothes, my soul. Just look in your closet. Be just as well off. Anyway, I don't remember. But, you know, we sit around and think about that, don't we? But I don't know how much I sit around and think about how can I seek his kingdom today? How can I seek his righteousness today? Sometimes we just expect it to just come. How do you want me to look for your rule today? How can I demonstrate the kingdom of God on this earth in what I do today? And so, but is important. And he says, you focus your attention, you focus your hope and expectation on the things of the Lord, his righteousness. And so the problem comes when we fall into seeking things more than we are seeking his kingdom and his righteousness and only we can examine our own hearts and look at our own time schedules and see if we're really doing that so after three don't worries we got them before verse 33 stop worrying don't worry don't worry don't worry i take care of the birds i take care of your lifespan i take care of your clothes Instead of worrying about all of that, instead of being anxious, verse 31, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all of these things, what? The Gentiles seek, or the Gentiles, they're unbelievers. Unbelievers are focused on those things. For your heavenly Father, everybody say the word Father, Father, your heavenly Father, what? Knows you need all those things. Listen, before your children started school before a year, did you know what they needed to go to school? Yeah. And so he's saying, look, I know you need these things. I know you're going to need these things before. You know you're going to need those things. So I know all of that because of your father. Instead of doing all of that, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Rather than being things-oriented, rather than being consumed by possessions, rather than being so tied to worldly things, he says, seek the kingdom, seek the kingdom. Now, the word first is interesting. Seek ye first the kingdom. Now, get it that he's not saying seek the kingdom and nothing else. The word first means first in a line of more than one option he says you've got some options here of things that you're going to seek and yes you're going to seek clothing yes you're going to seek food but before you start seeking and focusing on those things there's one thing you're going to focus on first and so that's why the word first is important because there's so many things we care about but number one is the kingdom of God and his righteousness now what does it mean to seek his kingdom let's review His kingdom is the rule of Christ. His principles, his thoughts. And that kingdom is eternal. So, whatever we do here is like what is being done in heaven, and that's where we participate in bringing heaven to earth. So, we are to have a kingdom mindset. So, so many times during the day, we may be given options to do this or do that or not do this or not do that. Our first thought needs to be, how will this affect the kingdom? Does it grow the kingdom? So, in the kingdom, we're going to seek to bring people to Christ. We love God and love other, others. We do good works. We've talked a lot about those. And it is revealed in my life to the world as righteousness, peace, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what happens when we seek the kingdom. When the Holy Spirit is set free in us, then the world is going to see us. They may not know the words to call it, but they're going to see righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It reveals to the world, when those people when people see those things in us, it reveals to them that the kingdom of God is within us. Is that not what Jesus said? He said the kingdom of God is within you how is that the case because the rule of God is in your heart and it shows up then in your walk when we're known for worrying anybody got anybody you know for worrying yeah when we're known for worrying when we're known for being anxious when we're known for fretting then people do it all the time you know some people that just if they're not don't have anything to worry about today they're looking for something you know and it becomes a stronghold it just takes hold of us and we're known for that and we try to witness you think anybody's going to look at us and say oh yeah I'd love to be like you most likely not so the kingdom of God is seen in righteousness Peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, and so the Holy Spirit works. So let that be made manifest through us when we're walking with our attention on the rule of Christ, and when we're submitting, being obedient to those rules of the kingdom, which are what: love God and love other people. Jesus summarized the rules of the kingdom. He says, "You love me, love God, and when you love, and then love other people. Just do it." agape love doesn't mean you like them may not want to go eat with them but what are you going to do you're going to choose to suffer long and be kind and not envy vawneth not itself is not puffed up does not behave itself unseemly seeketh not its own way is not easily provoked thinketh no evil none of those are feelings those are choices of behavior and so when we do that then the kingdom of God is manifest through us in righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit and peace. So instead of chasing money, instead of chasing things, we're going to chase holiness. Holiness. Now, when I do that, verse 33 tells me what I can expect. What does your Bible say? Verse 33, what can I expect if I seek The kingdom of God. All these things will be added to you. Who's going to add them? God's going to add them. God's going to add them. What are the things? Food. Clothing. Lifespan. He says, I will take care of all of these things. If you'll do your part, I'll do my part. Your part is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. My part is to be sure you've got all of these things. Psalm 84 says, You walk uprightly and you'll never have any need. There's so much to think about with that my heart broke Friday I guess it was I was in Carrollton I was leaving the Kroger parking lot and there was this mom there and she was standing on one of the corners there in the parking lot with a sign and there was an infant there a young infant in a car seat and a little girl sitting there coloring something who was two or three years old and she had it was holding up the sign that said I need diapers I need formula I need help with rent I need this that and the other In Jesus name your heart begins to spin doesn't it and I'm saying to the Lord how do we how do we put all of this together is it right for me to stop now and talk to this woman about seeking first the kingdom of God you know because sometimes we just fall into this habit of just using jesus name or this this that and the other where if i'm gonna have to get out on the street and beg which i'm haunted by the old testament passage where um it says i have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his children begging for bread i haven't put all this together in my mind yet okay so i'm not i'm just asking questions but i know what this says psalm 84, you walk uprightly and you'll never have any need. Now, are we as believers to help these people? Yes, when the Holy Spirit gives you that prompting. He may or he may not. Because that's part of the good works that we do. We're going to minister to the unsaved. We're going to help feed them. We're going to visit those in prison. We're going to visit the sick. We're going to do those good works. But for us, somewhere at the heart of this, Lord, am I doing what you need for me to do so that I can receive your promises? How do I need to position myself before you so that I can receive what you have for me? Because he said, I will give you all the things that you need if you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Some people don't know that he says that. Some people get in a mess. They don't know. My heart continues to just be crazy over people that don't know what God's word says. Especially those that have been in church 50 years and still don't know what it says. Truth? Think about Solomon. Solomon didn't pray for riches. He didn't pray for fancy clothes, but Jesus used him as an illustration here. He didn't pray for food. He didn't pray for a long life. What did Solomon pray for? Prayed for wisdom. He prayed for wisdom. And when he got wisdom, he got all the rest of it. The Puritans. Of the 17th century, does anybody like to read about the Puritans? Do some of their readings? Elmer's waving at me. The Puritans, 17th century, they became wealthy people, and it was not because they hoarded wealth, but the Puritans were concerned about purity before God they were concerned about pleasing God they were concerned about seeking first the kingdom and they were just focused on living for God and his righteousness they didn't throw away their money on worthless frivolous things they held on to the promises of God and part of the structure of their obedience was to work hard to save and not be self-indulgent And seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness does not free a person from the responsibility of work. Did you hear me say that? Like the birds that we talked about last week. They don't sit on a limb and hold their mouths open and wait for it to rain worms. They participate in what God is giving them to do. And so it doesn't mean that all I have to do is sit and study and pray and meditate and expect God to feed and clothe me. No. That's contradictory to all other scriptures. You know, um, we've got, we're going to take the time, just a minute, to turn to 2 Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians in chapter 3, and we'll hurry and close with this, and we'll just start here next week. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. Now, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof, that you avoid from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you received from us. Now, unruly means undisciplined. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. Now, who's talking here? Paul. Okay, he's writing this letter. Didn't eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you that you might follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order, if anyone will not work, neither let him eat. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that man and do not associate with him so that he may may be put to shame. And yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Verses 7, 8, and 11 defined an undisciplined life. Did you see that? What is undisciplined? In verse 7, he uses the word undisciplined. And then in verse 8, he says they're eating somebody's bread without paying for it. They're munching off of somebody. They're not working. And then in verse 11, he says, leading an undisciplined life, acting like what busybodies, so they're not being responsible people and so then in verse 10 he gives this command if anyone will not work neither let him eat and so Paul is saying look my companions and I are setting this example for you we're working we're doing all of this stuff so that you will know how to behave now, we're going to stop right here, but Matthew 6:33 doesn't say we have to work to earn a living, but we are to habitually seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. That is continuous present tense, and a part of seeking his kingdom and his righteousness is to be responsible for, it, for what you do and to leave what he's calling a disciplined life where you work, you contribute, you do what you can to feed yourself and your family, you do all of those things that the rest of the New Testament commands us to do. But in all of those things, God is to have preeminence. God will show you where you need to work. God will show you what you need to do. God will show you what your schedule needs to be. But the bottom line, the bottom line is verse 34 there in Matthew 6. He says, do not be anxious for tomorrow. Be good stewards, save up for it, but don't worry about it. I'm not sure I've covered this well, so I may just have to start right there again next week and redo a little bit of this, okay? But the whole deal is we are all worriers. And Jesus says don't. So maybe we'll spend some time next week figuring out how we can not. But number one is think about who your father is and what his promises are to you. Lord bless you. I can't wait to be with you next week. Amen.